All right, we are back for season two, episode five uh, of the Knife After Death podcast. And, um, you know, I'm, even I'm a little surprised that I've done five episodes in a row. You know, last, uh, when I was doing it back in 2020, you know, when the pandemic was raging and I was like not leaving my house, I was only doing like one episode every three or four weeks. But now I'm doing um, basically one a week. So, and the odd part about that is 2020 wasn't actually that busy for me from an autopsy perspective. 2021 and 2022 have been insane. In fact, January 2022 was the most autopsies I've ever done in a single month. And um, they were all over the place. A lot of really difficult cases. Um, I will go over those at some point. I took a lot of great pictures too, so there'll be a lot of teaching. But uh, but yeah, so I'm kind of settling in. The only problem I have with this podcast is um, the technical difficulties in editing. And I'm not a complete moron when it comes to tech, like you know, I can do it, but it seems like my computer, every time I edit it, has a different uh, malfunction. And it's a brand new uh, computer. All of this equipment is actually fairly brand new. So if if you want to know, like my blood pressure, if it's 200 over 100, it's when I'm editing a podcast. And so if I uh, have a shortened lifespan, it will be because of podcast editing. So, you know, someday maybe I'll have a team and I can just have somebody do it for me. But for now, I'm a a one-man show. Um, But anyway, let's do a case study. Uh, Last week I got a um, a lot of comments about people liking the case study format. It is a good way to teach because it allows the listener to kind of... um, put together clues and think about what might have happened, but it also shows the um, mindset of me, the forensic pathologist, um, on on how I would assess this case. So let's go ahead and just get started instead of just, you know, this random just uh, yammering that I'm doing. Let's just go ahead into the case. Now, I'm going to set the scene for you, okay? Um, there's a party occurring and there's a man, let's call him Dave. And Dave, well, at the party, he's been drinking, okay? And most of the people at the party, they're drinking. Um, and just for fun, let's make it like 1991. Um, there's a lot of Def Leppard uh, playing in the background. There's a lot of um, red solo cups uh, full of various alcohol uh, I'm not a I'm not a big drinker, so you know when I start talking about alcohol, I'm I'm an absolute moron. Like I don't even I don't even know what I would say. Let's just call it beer or let's call it vodka. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. To me, I'm more I have a more um, chemical uh, chemistry uh, directed mind. So for me, it doesn't really matter what the type is. I'm thinking of ethanol and I'm thinking of the biochemical effects of ethanol, and that's also why I'm a complete dork and why nobody should ever hang out with me. But anyway, it's 1991, Def Leppard's playing loud, it's a house party, Um, there's lots of um, hairspray residue in the air, a mist of hairspray aerosol. Um, This is before the the age of when our aerosols contained pure coronavirus. Now, this was a chemical aerosol, but really immaterial to the story. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. So Dave has been drinking a lot. too much, in fact. And uh, suddenly, Dave disappears from the party. Um, 
people don't notice as much because pretty much everyone's drinking. You know, it's a small Southern Indiana uh, party. Cause I grew up in Southern Indiana, by the way. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, what you would expect, kind of a rural uh, kind of vibe, you know. Now, I, of course, I being a dork, was never invited to parties where cool people drank. But you can imagine that I'm, I'm sort of uh, narrating this uh, from no experience at all. Anyway, so Dave vanishes, his friends uh, don't notice, and then a couple of hours go by. And this uh, girl that Dave had been... Uh, you know, hitting on, um, let's call her Misty, you know, because that's a very common name uh, where I grew up. Um, let's say uh, Misty says, well, where's Dave? I, I can't find Dave. He's vanished two hours ago. I was, I was very turned on by his ripped jeans and by his white New Balance shoes and by his sleeveless shirt, even though it's um, 15 degrees Fahrenheit out. The fact that he wore a sleeveless shirt that says poison on it, I was so, uh, you know, enamored by that. And I was enamored by his mullet. So where is he? And, well, she doesn't think much about it. She decides to have a couple more drinks. uh, And now it's time to go home. And, of course, uh, nobody would ever uh, drive drunk. So, um Misty, who doesn't have a cell phone because it's 1991, um, she just starts to walk down the road. Eventually, she makes it to her house. She doesn't really think about Dave too much, but the next morning, she gets a phone call. And the phone call is from their friends, their group of friends. Have you seen Dave? Well, Misty, of course, hasn't seen Dave. They were hoping that maybe Misty and Dave had gotten together, but it didn't happen. So, uh, you know, people don't think much about it because drunk people disappear from parties and they end up where they need to end up. But hours go by and now we're, you know, a full 18 hours after Dave was last seen and he is missing. His parents don't know where he is. Um, His friends haven't seen him. They don't know where he is. There was no communication. So... The police are called, and the police uh, report to where the party was being held, and they notice from the house there is a a set of footprints in the snow that's outside, because of this would be occurring in January just like it is now, and it's very cold where I live. So we have this January party. There's a, there's a, uh, a set of footprints that head out across the road, which of course would be a gravel road, and into a cornfield. But there's no corn, of course, because the harvest has already occurred. Uh, the, the footprints uh, continue on for about a quarter of a mile and then into kind of a wooded area where there's uh, a lot of brush and there's a lot of short bushes and trees. And they notice the, the footprints stop. And they stop kind of what would be almost like a hedgerow on a small uh, gravel road that extends up into the woods. Um, Southern Indiana is notorious for these like uh, gravel roads that just kind of go up into the woods and people go there to hunt and probably to, you know, bury bodies and things like that. Um, And they find, they actually find some clothing. They find, uh, you know, they find the shirt. They find the ripped jeans Um, they find socks and they even find shoes. They find these white New Balance shoes, which are in the snow. And then just a few feet away from this, uh, kind of stringed pile of clothes, they find 
a body. They find Dave's body in a fetal position. And Dave is in this hedgerow, kind of like burrowed into the snow, uh, half naked. So at this point, local police are pretty concerned. Um, They haven't really seen anything like this before. They're worried that this could be uh, foul play. But remember, there was only one set of footsteps coming to that scene. So how could it be foul play if there were only one set of footsteps? Because uh, what I'm getting at is if the body was dumped, there would be tracks from a vehicle, like a truck or a car, um, and there, or there would be uh, footprints. Um, unless, you know, somebody did something like, or do you remember in The Shining when Danny kind of tracked his... his uh, path through the snow in the footprints, so there would only be one track. Um, I always thought that was pretty cool. Uh, But no, that didn't happen. There's no evidence of anyone else being around. So they pull the body out, and it's frozen solid, and there's no signs of trauma to the body. Um, So basically, that body is then taken to to the morgue, the local coroner, And now we're going to modernize this just a little bit because in the old days, this kind of case wouldn't have been autopsied. Maybe they would have been able to figure it out from the scene and they would have just signed it out and not autopsied. Nowadays, this kind of case will be autopsied. And, and I, and I do see this kind of case a couple times a year. So what are the features so far that we've seen? We've seen a man who is intoxicated with ethanol and this man is found far, you know, fairly far away from the house party, uh, from the party where the house was occurring, and he was burrowed. He was basically naked. Now, those of you in death investigation and forensics already know what this is, but I'm going to just hold off on the diagnosis for just a moment. It's also very easy, even if you're not in death investigation, but you're probably wondering why this man was burrowed in a hole Why he was naked. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So for me, for the forensic pathologist's perspective, what do I do with this case? Well, first of all, I'm going to look at all the scene photos and I'm going to make sure that the investigation, you know, is, is what they say it is. And I always trust, you know, the law enforcement that I work with, they have experience with this sort of thing and they're, they're good at it. So Uh, I'm going to make sure there's no signs of trauma to the body. I'm going to make sure there's no signs that the clothes were in any way, uh, you know, like bullet holes, knife holes, things like that. And, but most importantly, we have to remember this body is frozen. And so we have to thaw it. And I cannot autopsy a body like this uh, the next day. This is a case where the body is going to have to sit out like on a gurney or on an autopsy table at room temperature for a couple of days with a fan on it, okay? Um, And that will usually cause the body to uh, thaw properly. Now, we have to remember that when you freeze and unfreeze uh, mammalian tissue, that is a big-time slippery slope on the timing for the autopsy. Why is that? Because when water freezes, and remember our bodies are, are you know about 70% water, when water freezes, it forms ice crystals, and those ice crystals will rupture cellular structures. So when it begins to thaw, decomposition 
rapidly increases. Okay, so you've got a body that's frozen, and then when it starts to thaw, the decomposition will start to set in much, much faster than a body that's found at room temperature. And that's because those cells have been punctured and perforated by all these ice crystals, okay? So I have to time it. I can't just come back in a week or something. Uh, and I can't do it too early because my scalpel can't cut through frozen tissue. So uh, the other thing is anybody listening to this that's in forensics might say, oh, well, he was only dead 18 or 24 hours. He wouldn't be frozen solid. And that's debatable because it also depends on the, the ambient temperature. Usually when I have frozen bodies, they haven't been seen for two or three days at temperatures that are less than 20 degrees. But bear with me. I'm just trying to make a point on this case. So the answer or presumed uh, diagnosis in this case is hypothermia. But And that was fairly obvious, right? But I want to explain to you why that is and why I created the scenario I created. Um, first of all, you've got a situation that somebody is intoxicated, okay? And that means that, number one, their blood is going to contain ethanol. Ethanol has the effect when you are um, you know, intoxicated of dilating superficial capillaries and blood vessels. And that's why some people have a flushed appearance when they uh, are drinking. It's because superficial capillaries are dilating. Well, why is that important? Because that is how heat is lost. So if he is intoxicated and his capillaries are dilated at the surface of his skin, he's going to lose heat much more rapidly. So he's going to go from his 98.6 uh, down, you know, 97, 96, 95. And once you hit 95, that's where you start getting into actual clinical hypo hypothermia. So that number is important. Well, what else is a problem with intoxication in this case? Well, thermoregulation. So the, the ability of your brain to control temperature is impaired by alcoholic intoxication. So now we have two physiologic reasons why this is a problem. Okay. And the third is um, people who are drunk, who are intoxicated with ethanol, sometimes do not make sound decisions. So he's a little bit, um, you know, impaired in his decision making. Instead of uh, not leaving the house, he would stay in the house, um, or he would, you know, get into a, a vehicle, or he would wait for somebody to take him home. But he's very drunk, and so he leaves. He's making poor decisions. So um, about fifty to seventy-five percent of cases are usually associated with this, with ethanol intoxication. And my cases of hypothermia, um, most of them, uh, I'd say well over 80% have been um, d with alcohol, okay? And now that's there aren't a ton of hypothermia cases per year in the United States. The average for the last several years have been about 1,500 cases. So um, the northern climates are going to see those a lot more than the southern climates. I mean, you're really not going to have a hypothermia case in, uh, you know, southern Texas or Miami. But in Minnesota, Michigan, or where I live in Indiana, um, it's fairly common to see. Um, I have not had one yet this year. I've had a couple that were suspicious for it. And so, um, but let's talk a little bit more about physiology. 
as the temperature continues to drop rapidly in his body. And remember, he's exposed to the the elements. He's not even wearing a coat or boots. He's wearing his white New Balance. He's wearing uh, ripped jeans with holes because that's how you knew you were cool in 1991. And he's um, got a sleeveless shirt. He's not even wearing a coat. And so he's losing heat rapidly. He gets down to about 90 degrees Fahrenheit and he can lose consciousness. His heart can go into an arrhythmia. The heart slows down. We call that bradycardia. And then eventually it can uh, devolve into atrial fibrillation, which doesn't tend to kill you, but ventricular fibrillation will kill you. Okay. So the other thing is, um, uh, let's talk about, now this is just the physiologic effects, but why were the clothes not on the body? That seems odd. And that's, there's a term for that. It's called paradoxical undressing, meaning why would, you know, they shouldn't be undressing because it's cold. It's paradoxical. Um, and the reason why they think this is, is because you get a sudden vasoconstriction. So in other words, the vessels get smaller once uh, it's the, it starts to get colder because the body is trying to preserve the core temperature. Well, what happens is with sudden vasoconstriction, then you get decreased blood flow to the skin, to the extremities, and that's what starts to cause frostbite. Okay, the technical term for the decreased blood flow is ischemia, okay? And that means, it simply means there isn't enough blood going to the limbs, to the, uh, you know, the extremities, toes, fingers, and the skin itself. And what happens is, is that this can cause, they think, uh, a lot of burning sensation and pain of the skin when the blood is attempting to come to the skin, but the vessels are vasoconstricted. So that uh, state of disorientation plus the severe pain causes people to start to take their clothes off. So um, it's not super common. Uh, We'll see paradoxical undressing in about 50% of cases if you read the literature. And in my personal hypothermia cases, that has been the case. It's been about uh, 50%. But then the second thing is terminal burrowing. That's the technical term. Terminal burrowing is when somebody is out in the cold and they will literally dig a hole like in a hedgerow or in a snowbank and they will get in there and they think that um, this is a kind of last ditch survival mechanism. Uh, They may not be oriented, but they know that they have to try to survive. And what are you going to do? You're not going to stand out in the middle of a cornfield. You're going to try to dig a hole. So the two main features are paradoxical undressing and terminal burrowing in hypothermia case, okay? So this is an interesting situation for a forensic pathologist because the diagnosis is often uh, from the scene examination, not as much from the autopsy. So what do we see at autopsy? We see uh, nonspecific changes. So the purpose of the autopsy in a hypothermia case or a suspected hypothermia case, is to be sure that something else wasn't going on. So for instance, was the person having a brain hemorrhage and they became disoriented and they left their house? Was a person stabbed or shot and pushed into the snow and it looks like a hypothermia case? Were they having a heart attack? So again, the autopsy is more for the rule out of uh, other conditions that aren't hypothermia. And the reason why that, that's important for a number of reasons. Obviously, you don't want to have a situation and call it suspicious when it's not suspicious. But also, you want to get these right 
uh, for insurance purposes, hypothermia is considered an accidental death. Whereas somebody who's outside and having a heart attack, this is probably going to be a natural death. And then, of course, you want to rule out homicide and things like that. So, but what can you find at autopsy? Well, after the body thaws out, you have to act quickly or else it'll be basically melting, decomposing quickly. Um, there is one finding in the stomach that's fairly reproducible. And these, this finding is called Wishnewski spots. That's the name. It's like a proper name, Wishnewski. And what it is, is tiny little hemorrhages within the stomach, uh, which kind of has like a leopard spot appearance a speckled appearance. And this is thought to be the same mechanism as what happens at the skin. Um, there's constriction of the blood vessels of the skin. There's constriction of the blood vessels in the stomach. And then if the blood reperfuses, it causes these little hemorrhages. So Wisniewski spots are what you see at autopsy. Um, and, you know, uh, I see them. I've seen, you know, a handful of hypothermia cases and I have seen them. In fact, I've had good pictures of them. I think I even put one or two of them uh, on social media at one point. I think maybe my Instagram page, it may not be there now. I go through and remove photos from uh, some of my social media sometimes just to kind of like clean out, just clean out the closet, so to speak. Um, so these are the basics of hypothermia. And, um, it's a pretty straightforward diagnosis from the scene, but you want to be able to rule out non-hypothermic causes of death. Now, one of the things I'm going to do when I talk about, um, these cases, when I, when I do my podcasts and when I talk is I want to do a little bit of prevention. Okay. So how can you prevent this? Well, number one, don't get so drunk at a party that you don't know what you're doing. Um, that would be number one. Uh, if you're if you're expected to be in cold temperatures, I wouldn't recommend a lot of alcohol, uh, especially if it's a humid or wet environment. Um, sometimes we've seen I've seen ice fishermen who have fallen through the ice and they are sitting out there on a pond with like a case of beer and they're fishing, but they're drunk. And so like, you know, I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't highly recommend that. The other thing is, what about other people? Not yourself, but what about other people? So I'm talking about people who are uh, demented, people, older people. So if you have somebody, a family member or a loved one, a neighbor who is, um, who maybe suffers from dementia and they're not in a nursing home or anything like that yet, you want to check up on them. You want to make sure that, um, you know, their residence is secure. You want to make sure that there's not a risk of them getting out. Um, and likewise, children. So they're rarely, and I haven't had one, but they're rarely are cases of children who, uh, little toddlers who will go out um, during a snowstorm and maybe the parent isn't around for whatever reason and the child, uh, you know, dies of hypothermia. So um, the other thing is diabetic complications. So with low blood sugar, with diabetics who have a little bit too much insulin on board, you can have some altered mental status. And that's why it's the same process as why uh, occasionally a driver who has diabetes may get pulled over and is suspected to be drinking because the behavior is sometimes the same. And actually you can have a fruity smell from the 
from their breath, which smells like alcohol, but it's actually ketones. Okay. So, um, you want to make sure your diabetics are not at risk of this and not only low blood sugar, but high blood sugar. Um, as you get into diabetic ketoacidosis and you have ketones, um, you can have the same sort of problem. But again, low blood sugar is a problem, high blood sugar. So diabetics and other complications like that. So that would be the basics of hypothermia. And um, of course, the the case that I talked about, Dave, 1991, you know, uh, Def Leppard and all that, that is a fictional scenario. Um, I don't like to do um, exact scenarios on these podcasts because I don't want to give away um, a ton of information. I mean, these are real people with real families and loved ones. So, but the the point remains the same. Okay. So just uh, consider hypothermia, especially, you know, just where I live, it's been very snowy. Um, the temperature has been under 20 for, it seems like weeks and hypothermia is a real risk. And so if you live in an area like that, at least give it some consideration. And, uh, if you have any questions, you know how to reach me. Um, I'll remind you again, YouTube is knife after death. I have a website called knife after death, which is like a blog a little bit, but it also centralizes some of my social media stuff. Instagram is anatomy in the dead. And also, um, and that's an underscore between each word. And then the dead letter underscores between each word there on TikTok. So that's my main stuff. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a page called Knife After Death, but basically everything I post on Instagram shows up at Facebook. So, um, you know, if you want to follow me, you can. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening and we will continue on. Let me know if you like the case study format or if there are topics you want me to talk about and I will get around to it. All right. Thank you.